0: Today's scripture is taken from Psalms 32, verses 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. In 1903, the black sociologist and activist W.E.D. Boyce. Described a black person's experience in America as that of a double consciousness. A double consciousness. It was his way of expressing the reality of seeing oneself as two things or, or, or being. Divided into two parts. He suggested that a a black person in America is in one sense an American and in another sense a Negro. And he suggested that a person, a black person in America is both Negro and American, and yet never fully even. Now, Du Bois would probably say that much of what we see working itself out in our national conversation today, and even on our streets, is, again, black America continuing to come to grips with this idea of a double consciousness and white America being forced to come to grips with the legacy of her indifference to this reality. Now, admittedly, I am sure that most of you did not log on for a lesson in Du boys or sociology. And so I won't bore you with that lecture. We'll save that for another day, even though I can hear some of you out there saying amen and others of you saying preach, pastor, preach. I do, however, want to suggest to you this morning that Christians live in somewhat of a double consciousness. We live in this world with this double consciousness as well. The Christian in this world struggles with two identities, both of which rightly defines him or her, but neither fully defines him or her in this world. For we have two identities that are at war to become the chief drive of our hearts. We identify and struggle with being both saint and a sinner. Augustine, the North African church father of centuries ago, When he read Psalm 32, he fell in love with Psalm 32, and in fact, he had it inscribed upon the wall next to his bed, so that he could meditate upon it even as he drew near to his death. Augustine suggested that in all of us, there are two competing desires. All the time. Desires to be both a saint and a desire to be a sinner. The Apostle Paul understood this well also. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul writes, For desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep us from doing the things we, you want to do. My beloved, if we are honest this morning, and I believe we should be, the, the double consciousness of living as saint and sinner is an everyday reality. Just as soon as we believe we have a grasp of our sainthood, the sinner in us rises up and we are left torn, frustrated, and confused. And yet, it's important to understand that this duality This double consciousness is not lost on our heavenly Father. God knows better than we do who we are. In fact, God's desire is for us to know him better because in knowing God better, we become better at knowing ourselves. And we know ourselves then as sinners struggling to be saints or as saints struggling with being sinners. Knowing that, this morning, God says, Fear not. Fear not. I know your struggle, I've seen it in Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob. I've seen it in Peter, James, and Paul. And of course, I've seen it and heard it in my beloved David. Beloved, your struggle this morning is not strange to God. And God therefore would have us to understand that, like with David, believe it or not, your struggle has been addressed. Believe it or not, whether you are currently consciously identifying with the saint in you Or with the sinner in you this morning, I want to suggest to you this morning wherever you find yourself, you are blessed. You are blessed. In fact, in looking at Psalm 32, I believe we are particularly reminded that there is a blessing in being a sinner did you hear what i said that there is a blessing in being a sinner i know i know that sounds ironic and and it and it sounds contradictory and to some of our ears, it may even seem blasphemous to suggest that there is a blessing in being a sinner, and yet there is. Make no mistake about it. According to Psalm 32, there is a joy, there is a relief, and dare I say, there is a happiness in knowing yourself to be a sinner. David begins Psalm 32 the same way that Psalm 1 begins with the Hebrew word as or blessed, it. Bless it. And like Psalm 1, therefore, Psalm 2 I mean, Psalm 32 is here, this beatitude. And you might think of it this way, okay? Psalm 1 is the blessing of being a saint. But Psalm 32 is the blessing of being a sinner. And beloved, David knew, I don't think anybody knew, more personally, the depths of personal failures as David did. And and yet, at the same time, he also knew the immeasurable mercy and the indescribable grace that comes from trusting and resting in God. In fact, beloved, I would suggest to you this morning that there is a greater blessedness in Psalm 32 than there is in Psalm 1. I would not be alone in this, but I would suggest to you that Psalm 32 is the superior blessing. James Montgomery Boyce, the late James Montgomery Boyce, put it this way, the happiness of the man speaking in Psalm 32 is greater than that of the man in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is where we all aspire to be. Psalm 32 is where we are. As one commentator has said, happy are those who know they are not righteous and who know what to do about it. Amen. This is the blessing of the redeemed this morning. This is the blessing of those who humble themselves and know who they are. This is not the blessing of the Pharisee, but this is the blessing of the tax collector in Luke 18 and 13 where he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is not the blessing of the older brother. But this is the blessing of the prodigal who has returned home and about whom the father says was dead but is alive again, who was lost and is found. This is not the blessing of the healthy and the wealthy, but this is the blessing of the poor and the sick. And Jesus said, in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the blessing of the sinner because these are the ones whom Jesus has come to call. Beloved, this is not even the blessing of the angels. But 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 reminds us that these are the things that the angels long to look into. Why? Because these are the things and these are the blessings of those who are saved by grace. This is the blessed joy and happiness of those who are saved by grace. And therefore, someone has said, and rightly so, that Psalm 32 is the gospel psalm. It's a gospel psalm because it explains to us what Paul means when he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and, and verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What does it mean to be saved by grace? Well, look at Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. It means that your transgression is forgiven. It means that your sin is covered. It means that your iniquity is no longer held against you. It means that your spirit has been cleaned, washed, and made new. Listen, beloved, it means that God knows you, and you know that God knows you, and you and God both know that you know Jesus. That's what it means to be saved by grace. This is the blessing contained in the short but powerful, few but life-changing words found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, but God, you who were dead in sin, but because of God's grace you are now alive in Christ. You who were once under the wrath of God, but now are the recipients of the riches of his mercy. You who were once children of obedience, but now are the objects of his great love. That's what it means. That's what it means to be blessed as a sinner. It means you're saved by grace it means the guilt is gone. The guilt is gone. You know, sin comes with it, carries with it two things, right? It has a wage. Romans 6 and 23 reminds us that the wage of sin is death. It has a wage. But it also has a weight. And that weight is guilt. Listen to how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 32 in verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. This is the nature of guilt, beloved. Guilt weighs us down. Guilt taps down joy. Guilt extinguishes the fires of worship. It is a proverbial weight tied around the neck threatening to sink all of those who seek to swim in the waters of God's love and His grace is the enemy's primary instrument it is his most substantial weapon for sidelining and weakening Christians. For guilt tells you you're not worthy. Guilt tells you you're not qualified. You're not worthy of singing that song. You're not qualified to receive the communion. You're not worthy to serve or hold that position It's the devil who comes to you and reminds you that you are unworthy, that you are a hypocrite, that you are a a sinner. And when the devil comes to you, beloved, when the devil comes to you and tells you that you're unworthy, that you're a hypocrite, that you're a sinner, then I want you to do like Christian said to Apollyon in the Pilgrim's Progress. Tell me something I don't know. My word not in me. My worth is in him who gave himself for me. And therefore, when Satan tempts you to despair and he tells you of the guilt within, you remind him that Jesus is there. And he's already made an end to all my sin. All of it, beloved. All of it. All of it. All of it. All of it. Colossians chapter 2 in verse 14 says Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us. And what did he do with them? He took them away by nailing, nailing them to the cross. Sin and guilt are great weights. Jesus, beloved is the greatest weight the world has ever known. Ever known. Ever known. Samson, in Judges chapter 16 and verse 3, the Bible says that Samson carried the gates of Gaza. <laughs> now, that may just, just run right past you and you not even think about it, but he carried the gates of Gaza, the gates of the city, which undoubtedly weighed well over a half a ton. And he carried them. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 29, that Jesus carried the sin of the world. You tell me who's the strongest. Recently, Thor Bjornsson, better known to a lot of you Game of Thrones folks, don't smile, don't tell on yourself, as the mountain recently lifted 1,104 pounds. Beloved, that's over half a ton. And you watch him do that, and you stand amazed. But then you remember that Jesus lifted your sin and mine, and he carried them to the cross. And you have to ask yourself, who's the greatest weightlifter? Who's the strongest man? We sing it, but do we really believe it? My sin, all oh, the bliss. Horatio Spafford understood it because even in writing it, he paused and he said, My sin. And he said, Wait a minute, all oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Before he can even get it down, it was a thought that overwhelmed him because he said, My sin, not in part, but the whole, the whole, beloved, they are nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. It is well with my soul. That's the blessing of being a sinner. The bliss of the glorious thought that your sin, not in part, beloved, not just yesterday, but all of it, has been nailed to the cross and you bear them no more. No more. No more. No more, beloved. You bear them no more. You know, most of the time when I'm counseling people who are struggling with their Christian faith, you know what they're struggling with? The guilt sin, the enemy is swept in. Tie that proverbial weight around their neck. And no matter how much you try to convince them that you are floating now in the waters of God's grace and His love, all they can feel is themselves sinking, sinking down weighted down by their sin and guilt. Beloved, I want to suggest to you this morning and I want you to realize something. That in dealing with your sin and your guilt, the first thing that you have to realize and come to grips with is that Jesus has already dealt with. And therefore, when it comes to sin and guilt, you just have to acknowledge and accept. Acknowledge and accept. So I want to give you four, four points here, four practical points, so that you can understand truly the blessedness of being a sinner as the Bible would have us to understand, as God would have us to live this morning, acknowledging and accepting. And first, acknowledge your sin. Yes, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. That's what he says, right? That's what the psalmist says. In Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Acknowledge it. Sin. We all have it. Acknowledge it. In fact, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Hey, We all have it. Your sin is no less real and offensive to God than mine is. We all come from the same gene pool. And we all have it. I remember 1988 when Jesse Jackson was running for president he was at the Democratic National Convention and he gave a speech and in that speech he said some of you some of your foreparents came to America on immigrant ships he said my foreparents came to America on slave ships but whatever the original ships we all in the same boat tonight And, beloved, that's how we should understand the nature of sin. No matter what it is or where you are or what you have done, we're all in the same boat. Acknowledge that. Understand that. When you acknowledge that, then accept. Accept that Jesus has taken away your sin. beloved, Jesus did not come to this world, suffer and die for our sins, for you and I to continue to live under the weight and guilt of them. What would be the point of him dying, of him suffering? He took your sin away. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Jesus appeared once and for all. That's it. He did it once, and he did it for all time. And what did he do? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Guilt, beloved, is nothing more than holding on to something that Jesus has already taken away. All your sin, all your sin, however bad, heavy it may be, is gone. 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 You name it. You name it. Gone. You name the sin. Gone. Have you acknowledged it? Then accept the fact that Jesus has taken it away. Gone. 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 Acknowledge your sin. Accept that Jesus has taken it away. And then acknowledge that that grace is greater. Grace is greater. In Romans, in chapter 5, and verse 20, the Bible says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Jesus takes our sin, and he puts grace in its place. Grace is for sinners. Amazing grace is for amazing sinners. Which one are you this morning? I want to suggest to you that don't be afraid. Don't let your sin troll you. But rather, when your sin appears big, remember that Jesus is bigger. However great your sin feels, remember that grace is greater. Grace is greater than all my sin. Acknowledge your sin. Accept that Jesus has taken it away. Acknowledge that grace is greater. And then do me one more favor. Accept that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what the Bible says? Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. Beloved, the longer I live by faith, the more real this verse becomes to me. Now, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, God isn't like us. Isn't that good news? I think that is great news. God is not like us. God doesn't hold our sin over our heads. Acknowledge it. Accept that Jesus has taken it away. Accept that grace is greater. And now accept the fact that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't hold your sin over your head. He doesn't use your failures to manipulate you. When he says your sin is forgiven, it is forgiven. it is not going to be forgiven, it is forgiven. When he says, your sins are forgiven, It is forgotten. And we don't believe it. We don't believe it. And that's why, beloved, we don't experience the blessings, even in being a sinner. When God says, Isaiah 43 and 25, he is not lying. He is not a man that he should lie or even that he could. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Done. Done. Gone. Gone. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not count his iniquity whose sins are covered. John Newton, the preacher and famous hymn writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, came to the end of his life. His friends were all gathered around him. And he reached up and he whispered to one of his friends, he said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great Savior. I have no other argument, and I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that he died for me. That's the blessing of being a sinner. And blessed are all those who know that they are not righteous and who know what to do about it this morning. Let's pray.